Amen. My friends, it's a joy to be with you here in the Lord's house this morning. Um, thankful that you're here with us. Daryl, the assistant pastor here, uh, we have been for the last, uh, well, it feels like forever, for the last little bit, been going through the book of Acts together, and we have come to the last chapter. We've come to the end uh, of this journey that we have asked, that we've really asked, uh, what is Jesus up to? What does Jesus want for his church? Uh, what has been the uh, historical approach that the church has taken, and now we find ourselves in Acts chapter 28, and uh, you may be thinking what I thought when I read this passage, if you're in our small groups, which was, this, this is really how this ends. Uh, this is really it. Um, where is, uh, after all the Pentecost, after all the spirit moving, after all the people struck dead for lying, after all the wild conversions and beatings and imprisonments and conversions, uh, the book of Acts ends with a guy on house arrest as house. Um, and I'll admit when I saw that I was preaching this passage, I was not happy about it. I was like, this is lame. Um, but the Lord has, uh, has broken my heart over my own pride, broken my heart over um, what this passage really has for us. And so excited to share with you this morning uh, what the Lord is up to, because this ends with Paul on house arrest. And uh, while it seems like you want it to end with Paul breaking out and, and going and preaching more and more, uh, it's actually comforting that it ends uh, with Paul just faithfully doing what Paul has done all along, uh, which is reading the scriptures and telling others about it. There's no glitz, there's no glamor. It's just a man in his final days in faithful obedience to the call of Jesus. And that's comforting to us, uh, because if you were like me as we sat through our small groups, as we sat through uh, the preaching of this word and seen and heard of all uh, that the Lord was doing through the early church, uh, all these healings that were taking place, all these demons that were being cast out, uh, it's easy to look at your own life and say, I don't do any of that. I don't do any of that. But what we do know about our lives, uh, for those of us who are pursuing Jesus, is we know this part. We know what it's like to faithfully follow the Lord's command. And so that's where we are this morning. We're gonna see originally three things. I narrowed it down to two. You're welcome. Um, and so we're gonna jump in with Acts chapter 28, starting at verse 17, and we're gonna eat, uh, we're gonna eat, I don't know what that means. We're gonna read through the end of the book. So, Paul, uh, so Acts 28, 17 through the end of Acts. So let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word this morning uh, from Acts chapter 28, starting with verse 17. This is the word of the Lord. After three days, Paul had called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, Paul said to them, brothers, Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem and into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it's because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain." And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you, but we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. And from morning till evening, Paul expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. 
And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's hearts have grown dull and, they have, and, and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. And Paul lived there for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. Let's pray together. Uh, Jesus, we do come to you this morning asking you uh, to make sense of all this. Uh, Lord, to not let us be like the Jewish uh, leaders in this passage with our ears closed, uh, our eyes closed, our hearts turned off to you. Uh, Lord, but would you open all of those things, open all of our senses to hear, uh, to see, to taste, to smell the beauty that is uh, in, under, and through this passage. So Lord, would you... Uh, be so kind as to do that, uh, to revive our hearts and to bring us to you in repentance. It's in your name I do pray, amen. Uh, so we're gonna see a couple things in this passage. We're gonna see Paul facing the Jews and lastly, we're gonna see Paul finishing the race. And for the sake of background here, Paul has made it to Rome. Uh, as we opened the book of Acts, it opened with the statement that, the, that this message will go forth to Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And here we have Paul uh, who has made his way to the center of the known world. He is in Rome. Uh, that's where everything was happening. It was the place to be. That's where all, it was the, the seat of influence. It was the seat of power. It was everything um, that Paul had wanted for this message to go forward. And he's there uh, in the center of Rome. And he got there uh, kind of a weird way. He's there because he is arrested. He was arrested in Jerusalem. Uh, but being a Roman citizen, he was able to appeal his case to Caesar uh, who was Nero at this time, if you know anything about history, not a good day. Um, because the Jews didn't actually have any authority to police uh, the charges that they had against Paul. It had to come down from Rome. And so Paul hopped on a boat. He was sent um, as he is uh, on his way to Rome. He is shipwrecked uh, right before he gets to the island of Malta. So his ship is going down. He swims to shore. When he gets to shore, he's freezing cold because he's been in the water. So he builds a fire, and as he's building the fire, he gets bit by a snake, and then, uh, but the poison didn't affect him. And so these Maltans who are now seeing him, they think he's cursed, <laughs> and rightfully so. You've been shipwrecked, now you just got bit by a snake. But they also think he might be a god because the snake bit him, and there's like, like he's fine, he's still talking, he's not slurring his speech or passing out or anything. And so uh, the Maltans just send Paul on to Jerusalem, or rather to Rome, and so he gets to Rome, and as soon as he gets there, he is placed on house arrest. Uh, and then he waits about three days, and then that's where this passage picks up, where he summons the Jews to come to his house. Uh, and he wants them there for two reasons. One, Paul wants to show them that he's done nothing wrong. Paul, in all his teachings about Christ and all of his fulfillment of the law, uh, he never spoke a bad word about true Judaism. Uh, Paul's message was never about let's upend the Jewish system and then supplant Christianity in its place. What Paul had believed was that Judaism was like the seed of Christianity that God had always intended 
for Judaism to be Christianity, for it to grow into where it was, and that he never had spoken against Yahweh. He'd never spoken against their God. He had never denounced their customs. He just taught that their customs had found their end in Jesus, and that Christianity, this new budding religion that would sweep the globe, was birthed in Judaism. And so he wanted to show them uh, that he had done nothing wrong. He didn't speak against Israel as a place. He simply wanted to say that Israel uh, is a spiritual reality, not just a geographic location. And uh, so this, all the, that was being levied against him by the Jews in Jerusalem. Uh, Paul wanted to say, I've done nothing wrong here. And we actually see in this passage that the Jews in Rome agreed with him. They're like, yeah, we haven't gotten any letters about you. Nobody said anything really bad about you. Um, so we think you're okay. We're just wondering why you're, like, why you're on house arrest. And Paul knew that if he could appeal his case to these men on that basis, hey, this thing that you love, there's a lot of truth in what you love. So Paul is, this is like a secret to evangelism, right? He's coming in and he's saying, hey, the, the, the way that you're living your life, there are actually parts about that that are true and that are good and that are beautiful and that are right. So Paul knew that if he could get them to that place, he could then preach the gospel to them. So they came back uh, a couple of days later because Paul had said, it's actually for the hope of Israel that I'm even in these chains. It's because I love Israel so much uh, that I am on house arrest. Gentlemen, can't you see it is my love for God that got me here? And so they asked to come back a couple of days later. Uh, but if they weren't mad before, they were about to be, uh, they were about to be furious because when they came back to Paul's house, this was when Paul was gonna open the scriptures to them and show them everything about the story of God that they believed and everything that they loved, and he was gonna show them something that they didn't like. It's that the gospel of grace is all through scripture. That the story about God is all about grace. And if the law makes you agitated, then grace will make you furious. Let's look at uh, verse 23. They went to his house and Luke says, day and night he expounded to them and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the scriptures. So what Paul has done, he's got these men in his house, he opens up the scriptures and he says, hey, from before the foundation of the world was laid, before the first word was written here, that God and Jesus shook hands on this plan of redemption to bring his elect home to him through the sacrificial life and death of Jesus Christ on the cross on their behalf. And if they would believe and trust in Jesus, the true Messiah that they were looking for, they would be awarded with an eternity of fellowship with the Trinity and given access through the Holy Spirit, they could then go to the throne room of God. They could look God in the face and they wouldn't die. And for the Jews, this was crazy. They wouldn't even say his name. They were even afraid to say the word of God. And here's Paul saying, you can actually get face to face with him. But it only comes through Jesus. He opened the scriptures to show them that Jesus was the better Adam who undid the curse in the garden by not falling victim to the schemes and the lies of the devil at his own temptation in the desert. If you know, uh, in the New Testament, when Jesus is baptized, he's then sent out into the desert for 40 days. That's the temptation of Christ. That's where he uh, and the devil go toe to toe. And Jesus didn't lose like Adam did uh, at the creation of all things. And when Jesus defeats Satan in the desert, he comes and he steps up to the microphone and he says, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Paul is saying this is who this Jesus is, that Jesus was the better Noah who as Noah hid in the ark to escape the waters of judgment, we now hide in the person and in the work of Jesus on our behalf to escape the judgment of God towards sin and in him we have eternal life. Paul is opening the scriptures and showing them that every high point of Israel's history points to Jesus, that he's the better Passover lamb whose blood is spread over the doorposts of our hearts, just as their forefathers spread the doorposts, uh, the blood of the lamb over the doorposts of their houses. That he's the better temple, that he's the better David, that he's the better prophet, and then that he would come in human form at his incarnation and live the life that they should have lived and died the death that they should have died. And Paul looked at these men and he said, This is the story of Scripture. This is Jesus. This is the Messiah you have been looking for. And Luke tells us that some believed, but some walked away. And Paul said, you know what? You guys who are walking away, the Holy Spirit actually said this was gonna happen. The book of Isaiah actually tells this. It pronounces this curse on you that you would walk away because your eyes were closed and your ears were closed and you couldn't hear. And he says, but you know who hears, Jewish leaders? The Gentiles hear and they believe. And if the Jews weren't mad yet, they just got real upset about that. What are you talking about, Paul? We're God's chosen people. You can't let those hillbillies in here. It's not for them, it's for us. We're God's chosen people. We're the ones that he swore that he would love. And you know what? They were just a little bit proud about that. Because all along, God had intended for this message to go out to the entire world. For those people who have always been less than, for those people who have never felt like they were enough, Paul is saying, this is who God is for. And just like the Jews, there's something in all of us that really hates grace. There's something that hates this idea that we need, we, we need something that we can't earn in order to be made right, which really kicks against all the American sensibilities that we have. You can't cancel student loan debt. You can't do that. Let them figure it out. Let them join the military. I don't care if they're 50. Let them go figure that out. They did this to themselves. You can't tax my land. You can't tell me what school I have to go to. I will never be like those people. This is what Jesus is saying when grace comes in. It's saying all of you need the same thing. And it's me. We're about to take off to Thanksgiving. You think your hearts aren't going crazy right now about that? It's because at that Thanksgiving people at the table, rather, there are people that you don't like. And Jesus is saying, I died for them too. And this happens, and the Jews walk away because at the end of the day, grace makes us madder than a hornet. Here's what Robert Capon said about grace. He said this, grace doesn't sell. You can hardly even give it away because it only works for losers and no one wants to stand in their line. The world of winners will buy case lots of moral advice, grosses of guilt-edged prohibitions, skids of self-improvement techniques, and whole truckloads of transcendental hot air. But it will not buy free forgiveness because that threatens to let the riffraff into the supper of the lamb. Welcome to Nashville. Give me a personality test. Give me a job. Give me a Taylor Swift pre-sale code. Give me something 
that's gonna make me feel like I am enough. Give me something. I thought the vols were gonna be that. We saw that ended up. Give me something that makes me feel like I am enough. No amount of therapy, no amount of good deeds, no amount of red wave Republicans controlling Congress, no amount of Democrats in the White House are going to bring this. Jesus is standing and he's saying, everything that you're seeking for to be enough is going to fail you. Your degree from Ole Miss isn't gonna do it. No amount of well-adjusted children are gonna do it. There is a chasm that lies in your heart that can't be filled by anything other than my grace. There is a chasm that lies between who you think you are and who you know yourself to be. And the only thing that can fill that is Jesus himself. The only thing that fills that is by saying, I am a great sinner and Jesus is a great savior. And that's what, that's what we mean by saying we have equal access for everyone. That at the foot of the cross, they say, the ground is level. And this upsets me and it upsets you and it certainly upset these Jewish folks. It upsets and upends the structure of the world. The world doesn't operate by grace, you know that. You've lived long enough to know that. So we must ask ourselves, what will we do with this grace? What will we do with this? Where will we stand, where will we go? In 2 Timothy, as Paul is about to die, he writes to Timothy of all the things he wants him to do and of all the things that are true about him. And he tells Timothy as he's closing out the book, do your best to come to be by winter, Timothy. Because winter's gonna be too late. Everything's gonna be frozen. You're not gonna be able to get through. Paul's talking about travel plans. Paul's also talking about Christianity. That we sit around and we'll just think, We'll get you on the next one, Jesus. Just let me try a little harder. And Jesus is saying, come to me. Do your best to come to me by winter. Come to me before all of it is frozen. Come to me before your hearts are hardened. What will we do with this grace? Paul is saying, don't hesitate that Jesus stands ready to save you. Jesus stands ready to welcome you. And yet Jesus comes to us faithfully in every moment, with every sunrise, with every breath that we take that Jesus comes faithfully every moment extending his grace to us, this grace that we know we don't deserve. When I, when I became a Christian, when I was coming to Christianity, one reason I was, I, was so, I was so against it wasn't because I was like, I wanna keep the law, I didn't care about that. I just thought Christians were dorks. And every Christian dude that I knew was like kind of dweeby. I was like, I don't wanna be a part of that. Like, I don't wanna get, like, they're gonna ask me to give up my music, I'm gonna have to burn my CDs at some bonfire. Like, they're gonna make me listen to Third Day. I don't wanna be a part of any of that. It sounds dumb. And yet, Jesus and his grace comes in, even for those who think they're better and for those who are rebelling totally against him. And he says, the only thing that's gonna feel that, the thing that you're looking for, the pride that you have, the only thing that's gonna knock that out is my grace, that Jesus is the one who comes in and moves in such a way. And Paul faced the Jews with this message of grace. And lastly, Paul finished the race with faithfulness. If we look at how, how the book of Acts closes, looking at verses 30 and 31, that he lived there and, uh, for two years at his own expense and welcomed all who came in and he preached and taught about Jesus unhindered. And then the book ends. It ends. Unhindered, without hindrance, is the last two words of this book. We don't know what happens to him. Does he get to Caesar? Does he, get to, does he get to plead his case? Do people get converted? 
And here's the thing, Luke doesn't tell us. Luke doesn't want us to know. It's the sneaky and the frustrating thing about God is that sometimes he keeps things to himself. That the lesson I think I want to learn is rarely the one that he lets me learn. I want acts to end in fireworks, but it ends in faithfulness. There's no demon slaying. There's no healings. It doesn't end with jail cell doors crumbling under earthquake. It doesn't end with the sun standing still. It doesn't end in a parted Red Sea or fallen walls at Jericho. It ends with a precious saint doing what he's always done, talking to other folks about the, what the Lord has planned for the renewal of all things, looking over the scriptures, spending time in prayer, and welcoming people into his home. That's how it ends. That word and prayer and hospitality. Two of those, the ordinary means, two of those are the ordinary means of grace, two of which, two ways in which that God has said, this is how you'll know me, this is how faithfulness to me is walked out. Uh, could it be that Luke ends the book of Acts this way for us to see that it's not a book about Peter and Paul and all the crazy stuff they did? That it's not just a book about these crazy healings and these wild demon casting and this idol slaying that it's a book that shows us that the faithfulness of God is actually what's central to the Christian life. It's a book that shows us it's not about all the crazy stuff that happens, it's about how the gospel moves forward. That it's a book that shows us that God's faithfulness to us is actually what fuels our faithfulness to him. Because here's the thing, the gospel is always going to find a way to go forward. That's what Luke wants us to see in the book of Acts because we know uh, from history, we know from Eusebius, we know from Josephus that Paul was in Rome at the time of Nero, the one who, uh, Nero being the one who blamed the great fire of Rome on Christians and then had a bunch of them killed, had them fed the lions, had them burned his lampposts, that Nero's sword would fall on the apostle Paul, falling on him with the hopes from the devil that it would kill this message. But here we are, 2,000 years later, and Nero's dead, and Paul's dead, and Rome's dead, but the gospel is still alive and well. That what Acts shows us is that it doesn't stop, and it's not going to stop until Jesus comes back to renew all things. Paul did some ordinary, Paul did some extraordinary things, and Paul did some extraordinary works, but here's the deal. Those were set apart for Paul to do. Those aren't shoes that we have to walk in. That's not what God has for us. Which is why it's so easy to get discouraged by the book of Acts and think that we're not doing enough when we have to realize that's not what God has for you. That could be what God has for you is not to find the next cool church or the next cool podcast or to find the next cool testimony or the next book about some lying toddler that said he went to heaven and came back. All the while, God is standing ready to save you through ordinary means of grace, through the aerating and seeding of our souls with his Holy Spirit and the works of the gospel. Uh, I came to faith in the early 2000s. There was, this, there was this dumb like masculinity movement that was going through Christianity at the time. It's about this book, it's about being wild, it's stupid, and if you love it, you might be stupid. Um, <laughs> And there was this big watershed book that had come out about the wildness of man, blah, blah, blah. But I was all about it. I was eating it up just by the spoonful. And I was, uh, I was on a construction crew at the time. I was working for a guy named Dwight who worked at our church. Uh, he, was a, he was a PC elder at the church. He ran a Christian camp, 
but that doesn't make any money. So he had to be a carpenter. And so I was working on his uh, laboring crew and I would just tell him, I would just inundate him. I bothered him so much with all this stuff that I was learning. I'm like, Dwight, this is happening. And then I'm gonna go do this. And then I'm gonna go do this. And then Dwight pulled me aside and he said, Daryl, what if God's just calling you to swing a hammer? What if God's just calling you to glorify him with your hands through the work that you do? What if God's not calling you to all that? What if he's calling you to live here in this moment? I was living in Sevierville at the time. That was exciting because there's bungee jumping, but that's about it. And so I'm just living there. I'm like, but it's gotta be more. But Dwight is saying, what if this is what God has for you? What Paul is saying is, what, or what Luke is saying, what if this is what God has for you? What if he is calling folks to feed their families? What if he's calling folks to glorify God through their work? Dwight would say to me that the bride of Christ is not a stage for me to figure out my performance. It's a person and it's a thing for me to love. And that the moments in life that require faith, that is where adventure lies. Michael Horton would say in his book uh, he wrote called Ordinary, he says it this way, I've come to the point where I'm not sure anymore just what God considers radical. And I, I suspect that for me, getting up and doing the dishes when I'm short on sleep and patience is far more costly and necessitates more of a revolution in my heart than some of the more outwardly risky ways I've lived in the past. So this is what I need now, the courage to face an ordinary day an afternoon with a colicky baby where I'm probably gonna snap at my two-year-old and get annoyed with my noisy neighbor. Without despair, the bravery it takes to believe that a small life is still a meaningful life and the grace to know that even when I've done nothing that is powerful or bold or even interesting, that the Lord notices me and is fond of me and that that is enough. That the Lord notices me and is fond of me and that's enough. Friends, Acts doesn't end in fireworks, it ends in faithfulness. And God has called us to faithfulness here at this moment, in this life, in the church that you're in, in the house that you're in, in the family that you're in, through a grace we do not earn in a moment of time in which we do not deserve to be alive. Let us not seek to escape the mundane. Because it's in the mundane that you just might find Jesus himself. It's in the mundane that you just might find the one who was homeless, that you just might find the one who was poor, that you just might find the one who left heaven and came to earth to get you, that you just might find the one, as the Apostles' Creed says, who was born of the Virgin Mary and suffered under Pontius Pilate, who was crucified, died, and was buried, and who descended into hell, and on the third day rose again, who then ascended into heaven and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Do your best to come by winter. Let's pray together. Jesus, we have come to you asking for your grace, asking for your mercy, uh, knowing that we are lost and undone without it. That Jesus, unless you move, unless you move the sin that's in our hearts, unless you move the idols that are sitting in your place, Lord, we are hopeless and helpless. So Jesus, would you show us uh, that there is beauty in the ordinary, uh, that there's beauty uh, in the rhythms, there's beauty in what is seemingly mundane. Uh, and in that seemingly mundane life that all is held together by your word, uh, the word of your power, the word that says we are bought with a price, that we have been redeemed, that we've been adopted and justified, uh, and that we belong to you.
And so Jesus, as we sing these last couple songs and as we head back into the world, uh, would you give us uh, the grace and the energy and the motivation uh, to continue on in faithfulness, to press on uh, as one who has been redeemed. And we will leave here rejoicing because of what you've done. And it's in your name we pray, amen.